0: Nonprofit founders and leaders, change makers and dreamers? Are you searching for new ways to be heard amidst the overwhelming noise and confusion of these uncertain times? Giving Heartbeat is the place to make connections and ignite sparks of compassion into forces for good and together turn unsung heroes into everyday superheroes. Conversations with dynamic nonprofit champions from across the planet reveal how they turned passion into action and obstacles into achievements. I'm your host, Donna Valente. Welcome. Over the past three decades, I've met hundreds of incredible nonprofit changemakers from around the world. It's my passion and mission to promote them. This is Giving Heartbeat, welcome. Hey there, my beloved listeners. It's just me in the Giving Heartbeat studio today. It's been a long minute and I want to fill you in on what's been going on whilst I was off the airwaves. If you caught episode 20, you will know that I had some health problems at the end of 2020 that landed me in the hospital emergency room. I talked a good game about eating right and taking care of myself. I went about my business and ended up in the emergency room two more times for the same thing. And the last time in June, they kept me in the hospital for seven nights. Thankfully, I am healthy now, and I gained a visceral understanding of the essential need for self-love and self-care, starting with mental health. I've wanted to talk about this, but it's taken much longer than I had planned. I finally realized that it's because it takes me back to a very difficult time physically and emotionally, which are, of course, intrinsically connected. I debated whether I should share it or if that would be too self-serving, and my therapist told me that it may actually help some people. So here goes. I want to caution anyone who is triggered by discussions of bodily functions, swearing, or mental illness that this episode is likely to contain all three, and you may wish to skip this one. I hope to be back to the Giving Heartbeat interviews of incredible humans real soon, and thank you so much for listening. I will see you later. Bye-bye. Okay, so the sickness starts in the middle of the night with excruciating abdominal pain, nausea, and explosive diarrhea, and is quickly followed by vomiting that doesn't stop. I can't keep anything down at all. The third consecutive day of nonstop puking is when I go to the emergency room. After the emergency room visit in March, I saw a gastroenterologist and subsequently had an endocolonoscopy that did not shed light on the cause of my illness and thankfully did not reveal any cancer. Thank God. While I was waiting pre-op to be rolled into the procedure room, I heard the young man on the other side of the thin curtain that separated us report to the nurse a family medical history filled with colon cancer that killed his parents and several siblings. My heart broke for him. I can't imagine dealing with the grief of losing numerous close family members and knowing there is a high likelihood of getting the same illness. On June 7th, my husband Mike's birthday, my sweet daughter Gina drove us in her topless jeep the hour-and-a-half ride to Asbury Park, and we hung out on the beach for a glorious few hours before we got word of an impending thunderstorm headed right for us. Miraculously, we beat the storm back home to Andover in time for me to get my groovy new glasses in the mail, and then I drove to the Cheesecake Factory at Rockaway Mall for takeout. I purposely ordered ordered food I thought was not likely to make me sick, Chicken and Biscuits, which incidentally is the name of a new play on Broadway, and I didn't eat it all. I did, however, eat a humongous slab of raspberry cheesecake. It was late by the time we ate, probably after 10 p.m., and then in the middle of the night, I got sick, violently sick. The next day, Tuesday, I was scheduled in the early afternoon to record my very first podcast interview with my dear friend, Jody O'Donnell Ames, as a guest on her wonderful show, Gratitude to Latitude. I had been sick all night. I almost canceled because I didn't think I could last without throwing up, but I did not want to miss the opportunity. I decided to rally, and I got through the interview just barely. I listened to the episode, and I heard how weak my voice sounded and when I was trying desperately to keep the nausea at bay. As soon as I signed off, I was puking again. On the third day of hurling, I called my doc, and she told me to go to the ER and that I would most likely be admitted and that my gallbladder might have to come out. This time, I knew more of what to expect, and I went equipped with a special soft blanket, a purple hairband, and Squishy, my cuddly owl friend. I was resigned to being admitted and scared of surgery. Little did I know that I would spend an entire week in the hospital and that it would change my life forever. Writing helped me keep entertained that week. And I didn't watch any television or Netflix. I was a participant observer in a fascinating world with a viewpoint that isn't often portrayed, that of the patient. I wrote stories about my experiences first on my phone and then in a little notebook that Gina brought me. The stories occupied my attention and made me laugh. They in no way were meant to minimize the pain and suffering of any of the patients. So I had IVs inside the elbows of both arms that stayed in the entire week. And I had a constant drip of saline and morphine and potassium and Zofran for nausea. I was so debilitated from not eating anything for days. And of course, from all the vomiting that I could not get up even to pee and used a bedpan for the first days. First few days, I have to admit, but I needed to. I couldn't even imagine trying to get to the bathroom with IVs in both arms, trailing tubes back and forth. And I didn't know then that I could just ask to be unhooked. And I didn't want to be a bother. After that, I had to call a nurse to unhook my IVs every time I had to use the bathroom and then hook them back up again. And because I was on a Constant saline drip, I had to pee often. I could not sleep because it's really noisy with patients moaning and crying out all night long, every night. I was restricted from having anything to eat or drink because of testing and was elated when I finally got to enjoy a clear liquid diet. Broth never tasted so good. The medical team wanted to check my digestive organs to pin down any problems before yanking any of them out, which I do appreciate. I had my first nuclear imaging test on Friday. I was injected with radioactive isotopes and then had to lay flat on my back, immobile for three hours whilst being x-rayed. When I got back to my room, Gina was waiting for me and Rosalie, one of my angel nurses, had just made up my bed beautifully. She was so kind and she shared great tips on container gardening that I employed when I got home with wonderful results. Rosalie, our back porch garden, even the strawberries did great. Thanks, you will be remembered. I was told later that day that I may need to go through another test wherein I would eat an egg and then be x-rayed to follow the egg's journey through my digestive tract to determine if the gallbladder was functioning properly. Now, mind you, I was still heaving at the mere mention of food, and the idea of eating an egg did not appeal at all. I was also told that they don't do nuclear testing on weekends, so it would wait until Monday. I spent the weekend scrolling social media and had to go for a chest x-ray, so I figured they were getting ready to get me ready for surgery. I think Michael visited on Saturday, my dear friend Pretty visited on Sunday morning, and my sweet daughter Carly visited later that day, so the time passed. The first few days, I had the bed closest to the door. After waiting in the ER for a few hours before being admitted, I was just happy to get a room. This was formerly a COVID floor, and there were two, b- two beds to a room, and space was super tight. It was extremely busy all the time, with patients coming up from the ER and other parts of the hospital. Because I was right by the hallway, I heard everything. Hospitals are noisy places. Friday right and early Monday morning, I had the radioactive egg test. Yes, I said, radioactive egg test. Although they they never actually told me I would have to eat a, a radioactive egg, they left the R word out completely. My doctor's PA told me that I could have oatmeal instead of an egg, and I jumped at the offer. She lied. I had more Zofran before being transported to the nuclear medicine area because I was still nauseous. I was transferred to a wheelchair and told to wait. The nuclear medicine tech came out of the room and said, we have your egg for you. And dismayed, I said, I was told I could have oatmeal and was told you are getting an egg. She told me it was freshly scrambled and nice and hot. And I could have salt and pepper and ketchup and a little cup of water on the side pleasantly surprised because I thought I would get a cold, rubbery, hard-boiled egg, I told her I would try it. So she brought out my hot, fluffy, scrambled egg on a little styrofoam plate with packets of salt and pepper and ketchup and placed it on the tray before me like it was a pheasant under glass and said, "'Remember, you must eat it all and not throw up or the test is over.'" The other nuclear medicine tech who I had seen on Friday stopped by and said, don't throw up, you throw up and the test is over. It actually didn't taste horrible and I managed to eat the entire egg, even though it began to feel like I was chewing bits of a rubber dog toy and became really hard to swallow. As soon as I was done eating the egg, I got wheeled into the x-ray room and transferred to the exam table flat on my back with my body in the tube and my head and shoulders out. I could see the screen that displayed the movement of the egg through my system. In a little while, the digesting egg bits showed themselves on the screen. I had to lay there for hours, so I watched the changing images, like clouds flash on the screen, and started to name what I saw. Duck. Elephant. Witch. Johnny Depp, George Washington. You get the picture. It was amusing and helped pass the time. I successfully made it through the entire egg test without throwing up. I was so proud of myself. And I sang in my head, I kept the egg down. I kept the egg down. I am the walrus. Later, whilst messaging my BFF Peggy about this experience, experience she wrote to me you ate a radioactive egg the whole time it did not dawn on me that the egg was radioactive and as i mentioned before the word radioactive was never mentioned like a little secret i suppose patients would be far less compliant if they knew they had to eat something radioactive and it would necessitate more explaining more time per patient. Of course, the egg was radioactive. How else would they track it passing through my organs? So if it's true you are what you eat, I am an, I am, I am a radioactive egg. I think that afternoon Gina came to see me and brought me the notebook and some lotion and a hairbrush and colored pencils. It's really hard to do self-care while being hooked up to IVs in both elbows. As I said earlier, the notebook became a hugely important part to my well-being during my hospital stay and beyond. Later that night, one of the nurses came in and asked me if I would mind switching to the window side of the room. She said I was one of the more lucid patients on the floor and that they had a patient that was confused and they wanted her by the door so they could better take care of her. This was my first clue that I was on a geriatric floor. I was thrilled. The window side of the room was much better. I saw a beautiful sunset and could even see the train in the distance. I think I got to have clear liquids that night because I didn't have testing the next day. Again, it was noisy on the floor and I didn't get any sleep. (sighs) Here comes the scary part. I think it was before sunrise on Tuesday that I first encountered the sadistic vampire phlebotomist the one health professional at Morristown Medical Center that literally traumatized me for weeks. She came in to take my blood, and she did not speak. She grabbed my uh, She grabbed my hand, my right hand, and quickly jabbed the needle into a vein. It hurt so bad it felt like I punched a wall with my fist, and then my right hand was bandaged and taped, so it made it much more difficult to wash my hands. And it made it much harder to write in my notebook. It hurt like a motherfucker for days and I had nightmares for weeks afterwards. It wasn't something I imagined because late Tuesday night, I got a new roommate. And the following morning before dawn, the sadistic vampire phlebotomist did the same thing to her. I barricaded the right side of my bed with my tray. I wasn't going to let her do that to me again. I was terrified. The sadistic vampire phlebotomist peeked around the curtain at me, and then she visited my roommate. I heard my roommate cry out, no, not my right hand. That's my dominant hand. I need that hand. Please, no. Ow, ow, that hurts. And then she went back to sleep, and I was spared. And later, when I told my roommate what happened, she didn't remember any of it. So back to the confused patient that became my roommate on Monday evening. I wrote the following story on Tuesday. Again, I wrote it for my amusement and to help pass the time and deal with emotions. I empathize with anyone who needs to be in the hospital, and I don't mean to minimize or poke fun or hurt anyone. Okay, here goes. I got a wily old Russian roommate named Maria last night that was a real character. She kept whimpering, "'Can't sleep. "'Can't sleep.'" Every time my IV monitor beeped or I had to use the can or opened a crackly packet of something I needed to try to sleep, lotion, lip balm, eye mask. They told me she was confused, but I disagree. Supposedly, she only spoke Russian and needed a translator. When they settled her down, she would say, thank you, in an adorable little voice. After about four episodes of can't sleep, can't sleep. There are a few staff in the hall with her trying to calm her down. And I swear to God, I heard her say, the patient next to me is so noisy. It's terrible. And she went to the bathroom. I mean, I had to call the nurse to be unhooked for my IVs to get up and pee and then again to be hooked back up. And the IV monitor does beep a lot, all of which I could not control. Meanwhile, patients are yelling or moaning or hacking or screaming all night and day. This morning, they put Maria, who is at high fall risk, in a chair equipped with an alarm that activated when she got up. That fucker went off every 20 minutes because Maria would get up on her own and I would hear, please don't get up, push the alert button to call your care team for help. And this dude would come in and say, with a mix of love and exasperation. What are you doing? You have to sit down and push the call button so we can help you. Do we need to strap, your, strap you down to keep you safe? Maria would hop up by herself with no walker or cane, go into the bathroom or wherever, and be back in her chair before they even came in. Like I said, she was wily. Meanwhile, the alarm repeated, Please don't get up push the alert button to call your care team for help. Please don't get up. Push the alert button to care. For, push the alert button to, for your care team for help, etc. If you get the picture until the care team could come back into the room. This happens so often this morning, I was ready to yell, just drop her down already. Bit should talk me to the night shift in perfect English, and being old and frail and cute doesn't excuse it. <sighs> anyway, she's gone, and they discharged a bunch of bunch of patients, so I just might get some sleep tonight as I sing to myself "Friend of the Devil" in my head, and that's the end of that story. Of course, I did not yell at her. I saved my yelling for the my next roommate and her obnoxious wannabe boyfriend. And I did not get any sleep that night. As I said before, hospitals are very busy places. Patients are discharged. Teams swoop in and vigilantly clean each vacated space. Care teams meet to debrief on each patient on the floor. And new patients are transported in from the ER and other parts of the hospital all night long. At one point on Tuesday night, I saw blood in the clear tubing attached to the IV in my right arm. The more I looked at it, the more worried I became that there was something wrong with my IV and that it was something that could kill me. I was thinking of movies where air is shot into a vein to kill someone, and I was terrified. I felt like if I didn't overcome my reticence to be a bother and ask for help, And if it killed me, it would be my own damn fault. So I pushed the call button and waited and worried. I felt so scared and weak and alone. The nurse came in and reassured me that there was nothing to be concerned about. And I was relieved. I had been surviving on almost zero sleep, and it was taking a toll. My emotions were deeply affected. I was humbled by the compassion of some of my care team, and I wrote the following in a text to Gina to help me remember. This morning, while taking my vitals, my nurse V and I started talking, and I asked her how she kept her positive, gentle attitude. She said there was nothing to complain about. She told me that she was a very spiritual person and that she meditates and fasts, and prays and sings. She had the most beautiful, soothing voice. She said that she was going to leave me with something. And she began singing an old hymn in her low, rich alto. There is not one broken vessel that God cannot mend. I will always treasure it. It still brings me to, uh, still brings me to for There are no words to express how much That experience moved me. V's compassionate gift cracked through the wall that I had built around my feelings, and I just couldn't hold back my tears. I wrote this little poem. My eyes spill tears like condensation running down a cold can of Coke on hot summer day. My new roommate was brought in sometime Tuesday night, And it was she that the sadistic vampire phlebotomist visited before dawn on Wednesday. While I waited to get transported back down to nuclear medicine for another long testing session, I learned all about Polly, not her real name, and her problems. She lived with chronic illness since she was a little girl. And I can see how that can make a person really good at asking for what they want. Polly needed to take a medication that requires refrigeration, and it needed to be administered at a specific time on a specific day, which was that day. She informed everyone who would listen that she needed the medicine, that her neighbor would be dropping off, and that he was waiting to deliver it to her. She was told that he would have to wait until visiting hours started at 10 a.m., and at 10 on the dot, he appeared. About 20 minutes later, transport arrived to wheel me down to nuclear medicine. In that very long 20 minutes from my side of the curtain, I learned that Durwood, or whatever his name is, was not just Polly's neighbor, but an ex who still pines for Polly and would do anything for her. It was nauseating. Polly's medicine was an injectable that needed to be refrigerated. Durwood, channeling his inner MacGyver, wrapped the pen in cheese to bring it to Polly in the hospital. It dawned on me that I was terribly reluctant to ask for things, not just things I wanted, but things I needed. I realized that I could certainly take a lesson or two from Polly. It was then that I finally realized that I needed to pay attention to my mental health. I needed to understand why I always put myself last to the point of not taking care of myself and getting very sick. I was exhausted, debilitated, and emotional. I felt gross from not being able to wash properly or even brush my hair and my teeth properly. My right hand was throbbing in pain, thanks to the sadistic vampire phlebotomist. I wanted to rip the IVs out of my arms I had not eaten in well over a week, and to prep for the next day's nuclear testing, I was allowed nothing by mouth after midnight, not even ice chips. Again, I was told by the PA that I, carry, I carried a stool burden, and I thought to myself, don't we all, don't we all? I was actually surprised because I had not eaten any food in over a week, so I didn't think there was any stool in there to carry around that be a burden, let alone be a burden. I thought it was a very apt description of my mental health. I was carrying shit around with me that I needed to get rid of. Back at the nuclear medicine lab, I was given medication to, to simulate my stomach digesting a very fatty meal to assess how the gallbladder would perform. I was very stressed about getting sick again. After over a few hours in the tube, lying flat on my back, the test was over. I was so tired and weepy. I just wanted to fucking sleep. I was hoping Polly would be discharged by the time I got back, and I thought for sure Durwood would be gone no such luck. He still sat on her bed and they chatted like it was her living room without any regard for the sick patient on the other side of the curtain. And I had told Polly that morning that I hadn't slept in a week and was exhausted. She just didn't think to give a shit. I was devastated when I was wheeled down that hall to my room and I discovered they were both there. I was so tired. I desperately needed rest. I tried to pull the curtain divider around me. Excuse me. I did not want to engage. I put in my earbuds and covered my eyes and put on my purple headband. I listened exclusively on repeat to the incredible duet, Anywhere Away From Here, by Rag and Bone Man and Pink That magnificent song helped me cope with exhaustion and anger. And I listened over and over again, concentrating on different parts and lines, first the piano, then the incredible vocals and the bass lines and the harmonies, just perfection. Occasionally, I would take an earbud out, hoping to hear nothing. And I was disappointed to hear the insipid chatter continue. Thankfully, I happened to hear Chaplain Tom come in and ask Polly if she needed anything, which she declined. When he walked beyond the curtain and saw me, I asked him to sit down. I told him I was desperately tired and asked him to pray, which he did beautifully. He told me that I should soon get relief because Polly was being discharged in a half an hour. I am so grateful I happened to look up when I did to see Chaplain Tom so I could receive that beautiful grace I so desperately needed. Hospitals comprise many moving parts, and it was was at least another two hours before they split. I waited and listened to that perfect song so aptly titled for my situation over and over again in my earbuds with my purple headband over my eyes. And finally, I had enough. I lost it. I screamed at them to get the fuck out, which is entirely out of character for me. I think it was the first time I ever yelled like that. Polly had another visitor join the fun, and the three of them were having a good old time. What tipped me over... The edge was when I heard someone coming out of the patient bathroom and I realized it was fucking Durwood. and the curtain wasn't pulled all the way across the foot of my bed. So I had to see his pasty face when he walked out of the bathroom and he got to look straight at me lying in my hospital bed because it was smacking the line of sight from the bathroom. I could not fucking believe it. I was so fucking furious. The public restroom was just down the hall. Who would ever think it's okay to visit someone in the hospital and then use their patient bathroom that's shared by two patients? Two female patients And the visitor, the visitor is a dude. I mean, who raised him? How lazy and inconsiderate can a person be? I was literally shaking and screaming. And although my voice was strained and not super loud, it was certainly full of rage. I was flat on my back with IV lines in both arms. And I asked the nurse who was helping Polly get discharged to come closer so I could talk to her without yelling and she backed up with her hands in the air like I was some kind of threat and she told me to calm down. I heard Polly and her gang laughing. I screamed, I will not calm down. I will not be quiet. I was quiet for hours waiting for them to leave and he used the patient Bathroom. He was here for over six hours and didn't shut up the entire time. He needs to get the fuck out and so forth. They finally left and I was finally alone. And then Felix, my incredible nurse from Panama, came in to check on me and he was so very kind and compassionate and he just let me talk it out. And he just even let me listen. He listened to uh, anywhere away from here with me. And I am so very grateful for his grace, kindness, and professionalism. I was in a very dark place. And Felix took the time to sit with me and listen to me rant and cry until I was okay. When I told him I couldn't understand how someone could be so inconsiderate and rude, he said that some people just have a different mindset, I think some people are just assholes and there are always there are ways to ask for what you need and want and not be an asshole. The results of all my testing revealed they could not find any disease or organ malfunction that would cause my illness, thank God. I thought about my eating habits or lack thereof and stress and other things that led up to each episode of severe sickness and I realized that I was causing my own illness due to utter lack of self-care. I decided that one of the first things I would do when I got home was seek therapy. I signed up for BetterHelp and I have had a wonderful therapist I have found that I really connect with. One of the great things about BetterHelp is the ease by which you can choose your therapist. And if you decide you want to be matched with a different therapist, you can do so very easily. Another benefit is that sessions are conveniently online, so you don't have to leave your house or wherever you happen to be. And you can communicate via messaging and all kinds of other cool things come with it. So BetterHelp eliminates many of the barriers to therapy to make it more accessible. It's extremely helpful for me to know that I have support to deal with the stresses of being a human in this world today. I always thought therapy sounded great, but I was too busy taking care of others to justify the time or expense to do it for myself. And now I know that everything begins with mental health. I put a link to BetterHelp in the episode notes that will get you a free week. I highly encourage you to pay attention to your mental health and to your families too. According to Mental Health America data from 2020, over 186 of adults experience a mental health illness equivalent to 45 million Americans. Of these, 4.4% are experiencing a severe mental illness, 52% of adults with a mental illness received no treatment. Over 26 million individuals experiencing mental illness are going on untreated. The percentage of adults reporting serious thoughts of suicide is 4.2%. The estimated number of adults with serious suicidal thoughts is over 10.3 million, an increase of nearly 450,000 people from the 2019 data set. Suicide was the 10th leading cause of death overall in the United States, claiming the, the lives of over 48,000 48, people. These are just statistics, just numbers, and numbers don't, ex, don't begin to explain the devastation that suicide wields on the survivors. People are suffering in silence, and it's so very tragic, The world needs compassion and love more than ever before. The entire planet was affected by the COVID pandemic, and we are all dealing with collective stress and anxiety, even if we don't realize it. Thankfully, this crisis is being recognized and addressed more more widely. I even got a pamphlet on mental health at my local shop, right? It was surprisingly helpful. It says, no one who lives through a massive infectious disease outbreak or pandemic is untouched by the experience. The loss of what we consider normal, becoming ill, concern for the safety of others, and the death of a loved one may cause emotional stress or sadness. The need for quarantine and social distance, as well as unemployment and, and financial concerns, may cause extreme anxiety and may threaten our sense of control and safety, affecting many aspects of our lives. Extreme stress related to a disease outbreak may impact our physical and mental health. This can present as sleeplessness, recurring dreams or nightmares, trouble concentrating or remembering things, feeling numb, withdrawn or connected, having bursts of anger or intense irritability, persistent physical symptoms such as headaches, digestive problems, muscle tension, et cetera, dealing with overwhelming fear and anxiety related to your family's safety, avoiding reminders of the disease outbreak, being being tearful or crying for no reason. Please don't be afraid to take care of your mental health. Self-care starts with mental health and must include mental health because it all starts with how you treat yourself and the internal dialogue you have with yourself. You are worthy. You can start by just slowing down, take a pause, and pay attention to your breathing. Take some deep breaths and find a place within yourself where you feel safe. Practice mindfulness by living in the present and really noticing your surroundings. Go deeper with gratitude journals and meditation and yoga. Eating delicious, beautiful food nourishes your body and feeds your soul. Cooking food can be a creative expression of your love language as well as a self-care and mindfulness practice. You can take a walk and play with your dog, enjoy nature with all of your senses, play music, build a birdhouse, do what brings you joy. You can make the choice to take care of yourself and treat yourself with the same kindness, love, and compassion that you give to others. It's not too late. On the last day in the hospital, after being a patient, For a week and a day, I got to order my first meal of regular food. I had fresh pineapple, grapes, and cantaloupe, a banana, cottage cheese. It was incredible. I was discharged on an absolutely beautiful day, and I savored every second. Coming home was a humbling and emotional experience. I couldn't believe how much the veggie plants in the back porch containers had grown. My house was heaven, and I was so grateful. I wanted to take it nice and slow and and really feel better before jumping back into stuff. I knew I wanted to share the hospital experience because it was so impactful. It ended up taking much longer than I thought. I want to take this opportunity to express my gratitude to Marstown Medical Center and its incredible staff. It's an exceptional hospital and constantly busy. I cannot imagine what it was like during the height of the COVID pandemic. The efficient and courteous way the different teams worked together was like a fast-moving dance that never stopped. I would like to give a shout-out to my hospital angels that were especially wonderful. On the Deskovic 2 floor, Sarah. Sarah. Rosalie, who I mentioned before, who made my bed and gave me gardening tips, Karian, Emily, Menchie, Nora, Joanne, Irene, Carly, V, who sang that beautiful spiritual to me, and Felix, who had the grace, insight, and expertise to address my weakened emotional condition. I am grateful to chaplain tom for showing up at just the right time when i really needed some prayers and i would like to acknowledge the transport team the essential life blood of the hospital that ensures everything and everybody gets to the right place hey patrick thanks for being so cool and friendly and remembering me in my podcast and talking about snooper man and kudos to christian for obviously loving your job and doing it well And for respectively demonstrating the importance of every action to the new team member that shattered you that day, transport is the only team that connects with every part of the hospital. Here are some other funny musings I wrote down in my hospital notebook. I don't feel geriatric. An unused hospital vomit bag makes an ideal temporary flower vase. Chest Waxer says what? Anaphylaxis was her name. Oh! Warmed prune juice is delightful. These disposable hospital panties are surprisingly comfortable. Cheese makes everything better, even humera. Here's another clue for you all. The egg was radioactive. So back at home, while I was eating much better... I realized that my stomach always hurt after I ate and that I almost always ate dairy. So I decided to try eliminating dairy from my diet to see what would happen And it. I actually started to feel better. This was really difficult for me because I love dairy, milk, butter, cheese, yogurt, sour cream, ice cream. I mean, come on. And it's very hard to find food at a restaurant that doesn't have some kind of dairy, I found that I could find delicious dairy-free food, even chocolate chips. I realized oat milk is delicious in coffee and in mashed potatoes, and plant butter is great for baking. I made some excellent dairy-free chocolate chip cookies, so I decided to go one more step and try an egg substitute to give vegan baking a shot. And I made triple chocolate chip vegan cookies that are so incredible. I can't believe they're vegan. And I made vegan banana bread and all kinds of things and vegan dark chocolate peanut butter chips, cups, I mean. Sorry, I'm crying. I was crying. I put on eye makeup. It's running all over my face and my eyes are tearing. Anyway, (laughs) and while I'm doing my best to eat dairy-free and I'm not totally vegan yet myself, I am enthusiastic. An enthusiastic convert to vegan baking. Tastes delicious, animals are spared, and it's so much better for the planet, so why the heck not? I'm so excited to tell you, as soon as I finish recording this episode, I start training for the Safe Food Handling Management Certification in order to get licensed by the state of New Jersey as a cottage home bakery business. This is brand new for the state of New Jersey which was previously the only state that did not allow such businesses. Baking is what sparks the greatest joy and creativity for me that I can share with others. I love this podcast, and I will keep the giving heartbeat going, but my entrepreneurial focus will be on launching my vegan baking, candy-making, hyper-local business. New Jersey regulations won't allow shipping via the post office or other such services, and then creating online cooking courses. I've learned that I have to focus my creative energy or it will diffuse and I won't accomplish what I want to do. And as I learn more about myself, I am clear about my path forward. I thank everyone for listening and sharing this journey with me. I am beyond grateful to have this platform and blown away to have over 1300 downloads as of November 5th, 2021. I cordially invite you to connect with me on social media at Donna Lee Valente or reach out via email at givingheartbeat at gmail.com. I'd love to learn about unsung heroes you think should be interviewed and about your favorite foods. Don't forget the link to BetterHelp in the episode notes to get a free week of therapy. And if you love fabulous tie dye created by hand, check out pinkgemart.com and use code SWEET D for a 20% discount on the most comfortable, beautiful clothes you will ever put on your body. Both of these companies are integral to my self care. Every day is a gift, a fresh start a blessing thank you for being a blessing to me peace out well that's a wrap for this episode of giving heartbeat where we make unsung heroes into everyday superheroes please be my hero and subscribe download rate and review And tell all your friends, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Naomi Charney for my beautiful cover art. Thanks to Chris Hogan for his theme music, Pure Magic. And to audio engineer extraordinaire, Don Sternecker at Mixolydian Studios. Please take action today to support nonprofits that connect with your passion. Be the change you want to see in the world. Until next time, the beat goes on. This is Donna Valente. Peace out.